0: Hi, I'm Awista U, Director of the Fellows Program at New America. This year, we're thrilled to support 10 new Class of 2021 National Fellows as they develop their ambitious projects. Today, I'm joined by Cecilia Aldorando, a Class of 2021 11th Hour Fellow. Cecilia is a documentary director-producer from the Puerto Rican diaspora who makes films at the intersection of poetics and politics. Her feature documentaries, Memoirs of a Penitent Heart and Landfall, were selected to premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival and air on the award-winning television series POV. Cecilia's films have been supported by ITVS, HBO, AE, the Sundance Institute, and many others. In 2019, she was named to dock New York City's 40 Under 40 list and is one of Filmmaker Magazine's 25 New Faces of Independent Films for 2015. She teaches at Williams College. Cecilia, congratulations again on your acceptance this year. Thank you so much. So to start, can you just tell us a little bit more about your film project Landfall and what you're hoping to do with the project this year?
1: Yes, Landfall is a feature-length documentary which examines the aftermath of Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico through a series of interwoven sort of kaleidoscopic vignettes. And uh, it really tries to go beyond the mainstream media headlines around the hurricane to examine a much deeper and longer standing set of crises. So for example, the economic crisis that preceded Maria in the form of the the $72 billion debt crisis, but also connecting to a much older story about colonialism. And it's really an intersectional look at everyday life in this sort of uh, hurricane ravaged place that also tries to um, take stock of not only what the trauma of the hurricane and what happened, but also to really uh, hold space for the beauty and an agency of the Puerto Rican people and really trying to go beyond this kind of victim narrative that has been pretty prevalent in uh, mainstream media depictions of Puerto Rican Live.
0: Great. So before I dive into some questions specifically about the film, I'm curious about your own interest in documentary filmmaking. How did you kind of find yourself in this space uh, and what inspires your work?
1: Yeah, so I became a documentary filmmaker in a pretty roundabout way. Um, I'd always been a huge film fan. I loved movies growing up. And then I, you know, have really been kind of a student of film, but I also had a very interdisciplinary and heterogeneous academic training I studied literature as an undergrad and then I went on to get master's degrees in gender studies and contemporary art theory and then I went on to do a PhD but you know along the way I was always really interested in film and specifically documentary one of my first jobs after college was at the Florida Film Festival where I was a programming assistant and basically I supported the the documentary uh, committee that would meet to select, the documentary films for that festival. And it was kind of my crash course in this form. And I think I was always really fascinated by documentary in part because it is, it's really a, a genre that's to me, um, the best, the, the best documentaries are really, um, really in love with curiosity, have a, have a real curiosity about the world. And they're a really um, unique art form in that they're a place where one can unite and really explore the intersection of say art and politics uh, in a way that, that just, just always fascinated me. So when I was doing my PhD, I kind of stumbled into my first film, which is a feature-length documentary about my uncle's death from AIDS. And it really was a kind of DIY experiment. My mom had found this box of home movies and slides in the garage. And she um, basically handed this box to me and it became this film. And it just, it was this really, it's hard to explain what a, what a unique experience it was to just kind of dive into a, a form that I was really not trained in, um, but I'd sort of, i but I'd studied from a more academic standpoint. And so, yeah, I just always had a passion for film and then kind of learned on the ground how to make them. And I realized that it was actually what I wanted to do with my whole life.
0: As you mentioned one of your first films was about your own family's story as it relates to your uncle's experience with AIDS. And you also... Recently, started working on a film that kind of chronicles your high school experience. And Landfall also is very personal, and in, in many of the topics that it covers with Puerto Rico and the diaspora community in your homeland. And so, can you talk about just like what inspires these, uh, fel- well, like at least the past three? What inspired them uh, outside of the first one? But. Also, what usually is your point of inspiration when you decide on the film that you want to make?
1: I think inspiration can come from many quarters. I think I, I don't think I sort of wake up one morning and get an idea for a film. I think uh, it's really about what's in the what's in the weather, what's what's in the environment around me. I would say I've always been interested in the theme of memory and really the way that memory helps shape the world in which we live. How it connects individuals to collective experience. I've just always been kind of a sucker for thinking about the past. You know, there's a poignancy to uh, understanding memory, and it's a it's it's a it's a way to kind of enter the world of politics in a way that's perhaps less dogmatic and more poetic. Um, so, you know, I think in all my projects, memory is a really strong force. But you know, I think that each you know, I think that I don't approach my projects in a programmatic way. I really kind of allow myself to be haunted with whatever set of concerns might be around me and sort of keeping me up at night. Um, And so I would say in the case of landfall, even before the hurricane, I had been, you know, from going back to Puerto Rico regularly to visit family or, you know, just to visit, I was really conscious of and aware and, and, and concerned about the economic crisis that had been brewing for many years. Uh, and so it was just kind of there for me. And I thought, you know, maybe I should make a film about this, but it wasn't until the hurricane hit, for example, that I felt, okay, this is actually something that is simultaneously incredibly important and yet really not being explored in a nuanced enough way. And so I I just felt that combined with my own personal experience of having family, particularly my grandmother, still in Puerto Rico after the hurricane and not being able to get a hold of them and really experiencing a very personal sort of trauma around that. And, you know, my grandmother eventually died after the hurricane a few months afterwards. And all of these things kind of just coalesced into this feeling that this was a This was a project I had to sort of drop everything and attend to. Uh, And so that's, that's in that case, in the case of that project, I, uh, yeah, I just, I feel like, you know, I don't pick my projects. They pick me.
0: You said earlier that it's this kaleidoscopic storytelling approach. And so can you explain that approach and also talk to some of the issues that affected Puerto Rico both before and after the hurricane. I had the opportunity to watch the film this weekend and it's amazing and just really beautifully filmed, but also beautifully woven together. So just curious too about how you figured out some of the themes that you really wanted to address uh, with, with this film.
1: Sure. So I knew from the very beginning that the situation in Puerto Rico is so complex and also, I would say the mountain of ignorance that exists around Puerto Rico in the United States was just so, such a dull mountain to scale that I felt like a holistic approach was really the only one to begin to scratch the surface of the complexity. I really wanted to, to make a film that would act as a kind of primer. Um, and this is when I'm thinking about an audience that is outside of Puerto Rico or maybe isn't Puerto Rican, because I think that the the way that Puerto Ricans engage with this film is very different. But if we're talking about a, a, a non Puerto Rican US audience, for example, um, most many people don't know the first thing about Puerto Rico, really. I mean, it might be a place to go vacation, but other than that, it very rarely registers in the public discourse. And so I felt like um, I wanted to make a film that would be a kind of baseline account of this very complex situation Um, And I felt like it wasn't really, it just really wasn't enough to focus on, say, one or two or three stories um, or individuals or characters. So I I really wanted to try and think instead about an approach to the topic that was, um, that really tried to connect seemingly disconnected things. For example, you know, what relationship does climate change have to debt? Or how what relationship does debt have to gentrification, et cetera? Um, and so we, what I did was um, try to identify a series of potent stories that would kind of refract across one another. Sometimes relating to, sometimes through really intense juxtaposition and difference, um, but really trying to sort of um, paint a portrait of a place. I mean, if there's a if there is a, a central character in this film, it is the territory of Puerto Rico, the archipelago of Puerto Rico. And so um, it really tries to, it's, you know, in, in many ways it's kind of a film that tries to stay, take stock of something that is a sort of huge series of interconnected forces that are all being brought to bear on this very small place, which is, you know, uh, the island of Puerto Rico itself is only 90 miles by 30 miles. And yet, in many ways, I felt like, the world was not paying nearly enough attention to Puerto Rico. And yet if you study Puerto Rico, you can begin to understand so much about what is currently afflicting our world. What are the exploitative forces that are actually unmaking society? And um, they're all bearing out in Puerto Rico in highly legible and highly understandable ways. So it just seemed to me like the best way to to tackle this, um, and so I had the great privilege of working with an incredible editor named Tara Jean Long, who has a really sensitive and kind of nuanced way of editing, and together it was sort of like a jigsaw puzzle. We were, you know, we, we it was kind of, it was the kind of project where the structure of the film did not work until it worked, and we had to really move the pieces around and see what would play off of, you know, what story would play off of another and so so yeah that's really the approach that we took and I feel now that the film is starting to reach audiences and be experienced I I can I can feel that what I what I was intending and, and you sort of mentioned these pre-existing crises I mean one of the things that I said to my editor Tara we would you know talk about and we we put it as a sort of principle on the board that we kept near us was this is an old story? So we weren't just interested in understanding what happened after the hurricane, because it very much is a portrait of aftermath. But we also had moments of gesturing towards earlier periods in history that could show the um, the echoes and the reverberations of what essentially is the long arc and the long durée of colonialism. You know, since Christopher Columbus landed in Puerto Rico 500 years ago, Puerto Rico has been exploited as a kind of social experiment. And this period of crisis now is in our minds, best understood within the context of those pre-existing experiments. So that we can see that this isn't just a story about how do you recover from one storm, but actually how do we end the sort of exploitative forces that have been working Puerto Rico forever once and for all.
0: So one of the things you mentioned in your application was that you made a considered effort not to rely on experts or politicians as the main deliverer of the message of the film. And instead, you looked at t- to civilian guides, as you call them. So can you explain your rationale for not using experts or politicians? And also, what do you mean by civilian
1: guides? Sure. I, am I. you know, I think one of the conventions in documentary film, particularly social issue documentaries, is the tendency to rely on credentialed experts to speak for communities that are experiencing difficulty firsthand. And what I think, particularly in the case of Puerto Rico post-Maria, one of the things, the the sort of untold stories of that is that it was not, the people that survived post-Maria survived because of grassroots efforts on the ground of people helping other people. It was a, it was a deeply communitarian project of mutual aid and solidarity. And, and in fact, it was the so-called experts that did not do their jobs, that did not you know, really intervene and support the recovery the way they should have. And um, you know, for example, the federal government colossally failed to do its job, vis-a-vis American citizens. Um, and I would say the local government the same. And and I think part of this is that in the case of Puerto Rico in the past generation, what we've seen is, is just a, a real lack of faith in the institutions that are supposed to be the stewards of society. So um, I felt like it would be irresponsible of me to actually make a film that would be reifying those institutional structures that are in fact failing people. So to ask a politician to comment on uh, a situation when politicians in Puerto Rico are, in many cases, I would say most cases, people, people don't, don't trust them or have faith in them. Um, similarly, to rely on kind of you know mainstream journalists when the media in many ways was getting the story wrong, or to rely on PhDs or professors when the education system, as we know it in Puerto Rico is is coming undone, none of those things felt appropriate. And so um, what what seemed much more meaningful and viable and valuable was to treat people that are often patronized in in documentary form as victims or as weak or as somehow um, naive or innocent, In fact, to treat the people who are most affected directly as the experts, let the people speak for themselves. Because in the case of Puerto Rico, the people have been the ones doing the work and doing the work not only of recovery, but of imagining really crucial forms of world building, utopia, coming together as community at a moment of total collapse. Um, and so there's also a beautiful story there, not just a, not just a tragic one. Um, and so it was also partly out of an interest to celebrate the agency of Puerto Rican people and to recognize the ways in which, even in the midst of disaster, people are doing extraordinary and beautiful things. So yeah, this was just a principle that we adhered to. You know, we were tr- at every turn trying to find ways to, how do we address incredibly complicated issues like say economic policy through relatable everyday sorts of ways. And so, so yeah, that was, that was really the, the principle that we just sort of followed throughout. Um, We'd say, okay, I want to, we want to examine this topic. Um, but we don't just want to go interview somebody about that topic we want to find a story that that really embodies it in a in a kind of lived experience of people on the ground
0: so as part of your proposal to new America you built out an impact campaign and an outreach campaign for the film so can you talk more about that effort particularly now in light of covid when traveling is so difficult can you just talk about your plan initially and then how you've adapted it accordingly
1: yeah I mean I think um the the unfortunate reality i mean obviously covid has been many unfortunate aspects to it. Um, I don't have to exaggerate that. But I think in many ways, like like everybody, COVID's derailed all of our lives. But one of the unfortunate truths of COVID is that it has actually, in terms of the the themes of this film, it has only sort of served to underscore the importance of studying a place like Puerto Rico. Because this film, Landfall, is essentially an examination of disaster capitalism, this idea that in in moments of incredible crisis well a lot of people are struggling to put their lives together and in the midst of you know incredible emotional trauma and turmoil and shock and maybe literally putting their house together inevitably there are also opportunists who have the resources to effectively deploy the crisis to their own economic benefit and the same is true at a much higher scale now with covid and so, for us, in terms of thinking about the impact work that we're doing with the film, it's really only convinced me and the people I work with more that we really need to to keep Puerto Rico at the center. And, and unfortunately, as is um, often the case, you know, small places like Puerto Rico are receding to the background instead of being centered in this conversation. Just as you know, COVID is disproportionately impacting communities of color and some of the least visible in our society, the invisibilization is also true in Puerto Rico. So for example, right now as we speak, COVID cases are going through one of their biggest spikes in the entire country of the United States in Puerto Rico, in part because tourists are going back to Puerto Rico to have a vacation and not wearing masks and uh, effectively facilitating this massive spread of COVID. And it's not even really being reported very much in the press. So all of this is to say that, um, in my mind, I've been saying all along that Puerto Rico is kind of a handbook for our times, thinking about this idea of encroaching disaster that's, that's, you know, that's seismic like climate change. That is only more true now with COVID. That being said, we have been forced to change of our, our plans. We had a, a whole plan this summer to do a grassroots screening tour in Puerto Rico and go town by town and, and screen the film directly for the communities that um, that we filmed in and, and really make sure that Puerto Ricans could actually experience the film together. Um, none of that can happen right now, and so we've had to put all of those plans on hold. But we have been able to pivot into a virtual terrain and so for example the screening that you where you watched the film last weekend was our first kind of foray into a series of virtual events online events where we're going to be able to distribute the film in our own diy sort of way uh, and begin to reach the communities that we care about the most we are going to be planning for example a big event around the third anniversary of the hurricane on september 20th uh, 2020 in which we are and one of the things that we're we're starting to do and you know with the support of this fellowship i've been able to bring on an impact producer and also a distribution assistant and um as a team we are beginning to develop relationships with allied organizations that are already doing the work that we care about so for example climate justice organizations that are centering um the experience of people of color and disproportionately impacted communities Um, you know, Puerto Rican justice movements, all of those kinds of groups. We're we're beginning the process of establishing partnerships with organizations whose work we really believe in to uplift their work and to center the conversation. And we really believe that this is a film that will enable us to talk really mindfully about what a just recovery from COVID actually looks like. Because um, one of the things that we saw in Puerto Rico is that very often, the answer in moments of crisis that, a lot, that 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 people will promote are policies of austerity and privatization, and cutting, cutting, cutting. And when in fact, what what needs to happen uh, is a recovery that is inclusive, that actually provides meaningful, viable resources for working people to rebuild their lives. Um, and so that's actually. Part of the urgency that we feel is that we can't we can't wait until this pandemic is quote unquote over, if it is ever going to be fully over. I mean, I think we're seeing a, a seismic change in our in our society as a result of COVID. So we want to intervene in that conversation now and insist that it is if we if we're not enacting policies that are centering the experiences of colonized people, working people, the most disenfranchised. Etc., we are not as a society going to be recovering in the right way. So that is what we are, you know, as we speak, that's what I'm hard at work on doing is um, developing a whole strategy to get the film into those communities as soon as possible. The film is eventually going to be broadcast on PBS uh, next year in 2021 on the wonderful series POV. So this is also part of a kind of uh, campaign to build interest and support for that broadcast so that everybody can see the film that wants to see it. Um, And we're really, really excited to have that opportunity to broadcast the film nationwide to a really wide audience.
0: So one of the central questions that you pose to your audience is to whom will Puerto Rico ultimately belong? Can you explain that question, where it stems from, and your goal for trying to answer it with the film?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this is this is one of the things that it was already underway before the hurricane, and it is only being exacerbated by the hurricane. Now, COVID, the Puerto Rican economic crisis unleashed a, a sort of a new wave of gentrification, of um, of migration, of a lot of. FACTORS THAT HAVE BEEN RESULTING in, IN in EFFECTIVELY, YOU KNOW, AND I HATE TO BE SIMPLISTIC HERE, BUT IT'S ACTUALLY QUITE TRUE, an emptying OUT of, OF PUERTO RICO OF ITS PUERTO RICAN POPULATION. THERE IS A REAL RISK OF PUERTO RICO BECOMING A, a PUERTO RICAN LESS PLACE. AND YOU KNOW, AGAIN, IF WE THINK OF THIS NOT AS A, a, cr- a ONE-TIME CRISIS, BUT AN ACCELERATING SERIES OF FORCES, People have been migrating from Puerto Rico in search of a better economic future for many, many, many years, many decades. But since Maria, those forces of migration have started to look more and more permanent. Um, You have seen um, a a progressive brain drain of educated Puerto Ricans leaving and not coming back you have an aging population that is disproportionately at risk of dying from COVID. So we could actually witness a die off of the population. And what, what is um, becoming more and more apparent is that it, and this is why, you know, we think about it through the lens of disaster capitalism. It is in the economic interest of certain folks in the business and government sectors for people in Puerto Rico to leave. And I can give you an example, say a family, say a community experiences a tremendous amount of damage, structural damage because of the hurricane. Say their school, their town school does not reopen, which hundreds of schools have been shut down since since the hurricane. So that, so say a given family has to, has no local school to send their kid to school anymore. They can't rebuild their home say this is a beachfront community or a community that is near um, really ideal real estate for say building a hotel, you know, not rebuilding, not recovering in fact is quite helpful to say a real estate venture or a capitalist that wants to invest uh, that's maybe had an eye on building a, a hotel complex. So this is happening all over Puerto Rico and there has been, ongoing resistance in places like Vieques and other parts of Puerto Rico where folks have wanted to put in hotels uh, and activists have resisted and resisted and resisted. And that resistance gets worn down as people get worn down. So it's actually a very real thing. And and for example, just last week, the non-elected governor of Puerto Rico, Wanda Vasquez, who was put in place after the Previous governor was kicked out by the people. Wanda Vasquez was seen breaking ground on a new development. It's called Loopland. And um, it's not exactly clear who's behind it, but it is a multi-hundred million dollar development on a former naval base called Roosevelt Roads. And that is it's many, many, many acres of what used to be a US Navy base getting transformed into a high-end estate, living uh, estate for what they're calling millennial families. This is just another example of, um, under the guise of economic recovery, economic policies that are not centering the needs of Puerto Rican people. Like while the governor is breaking ground on this um, fancy, completely inaccessible for most Puerto Ricans development, you have uh, schools that are remaining closed. You have, I mean, you literally have school children who are not receiving food that, you know, just, just recently the, the Puerto Rican government declared that that schools did not have to feed children during COVID. So it's a, it's a huge, hugely urgent situation. And I can tell you that, you know, there's an entire generation of, of younger Puerto Ricans that do not have a path towards, an economically stable future if they stay in Puerto Rico. And so, um, you know, this is a very real thing. And the question to whom will Puerto Rico belong is not rhetorical, it's quite literal. Um, If we think about it in terms of who owns a piece of property, Puerto Rico is being auctioned off to the highest bidder right now. And the, the pandemic is only making that easier for that to happen.
0: As you mentioned earlier it's it's been just a very challenging year around the world for so many people and so what at this moment gives you hope or encouragement or inspiration
1: Honestly it's and I and it sounds romantic and I don't mean to be because it's actually quite literal it is it is people one of the things that we really strive to create space for in the film is moments of pleasure that to me really come from, it's, it's interesting. I just, I was speaking to my family who watched the film for the first time over the weekend. And I was talking to my, to them and I asked them what, you know, they were going to take away. And my father said, you know, I was just so moved to see this generation of younger Puerto Ricans in the film because they seem so clear eyed and so clear minded and so eloquent. And so they have so much understanding of what's happening. And It's really something to behold when you see the creativity of activism in Puerto Rico and the ways that vulnerable, often the darkest skinned, often queer, often trans, often the most vulnerable um, sectors of Puerto Rican society coming together and caring for one another, not only in in caring ways, but in creative and beautiful ways and sexy ways and in dance and art in extraordinary forms of creative expression. And we saw this really quite exquisitely expressed in the uh, protests that happened last summer that result, resulted in the ouster of Governor Ricardo Roselló. which, you know, in 12 days, it was 12 days of protests that effectively, that, that managed to get this corrupt governor out of office. And those protests were not only effective, they were they were effective in part because they were beautiful, because they were clever, because they were funny, because they were full of dancing and 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 kayaks and yoga and parties and and so that that is actually to me one of the more beautiful things and i think it's it's hard right now in these moments of physical isolation to to celebrate community it feels so far away from us but i think that you know we're witnessing it again with with the uprisings around black lives matter with people taking to the streets in mindful ways in loving ways so that's the thing that actually gives me uh, a sense of purpose. Um, I'm not, I, I don't know if I feel hopeful most days, these days, but I I do feel it gives me a reason to to get out of bed and keep moving. So final question,
0: where do you hope to be with your project a year from now when your fellowship comes to a close?
1: I mean, I hope that Puerto Rico is on um, the tip of everyone's tongues. I hope that people begin to really contemplate this moment of crisis and cataclysm as a moment of tremendous awakening and learning and community building. Um, and I hope that Puerto Rico is, is really centered in people's consciousness as something to understand because I think that it enables us to really understand this, this pandemic as, as not entirely a natural, in fact, in many ways, a man-made crisis. And I think that that's something that I would I would really love for the the conversation around the pandemic and and what it means to live in this era of tremendous upheaval in ways that are not um, passive that you know that we don't just take it lying down and we don't just sort of wallow in in, in sort of wishing that things were better, like, you know, what I mean is, um, I've been thinking a lot about nostalgia and the kind of way in which we're all sort of saying, oh, we wish, we wish we could go back to the way things were a year ago. I think what I would like is for us to begin talking about the way things, the way we want things to be. And I think that that's what I would love is for this film and this, and, and, and more specifically, or more, more importantly, the crisis in Puerto Rico to not be otherized as something that's happening quote unquote over there or something that only Puerto Ricans should care about, but in fact is um, a highly instructional cautionary tale that can also help us all understand that it's really high time we figure out how to build the utopia that we really want.
0: Well, we look forward to supporting your project this year. Thank you again for your time today, Cecilia. Thank you for listening to this interview. If you enjoy this conversation, please visit newamerica.org slash fellows to access my other interviews with the class of 2021.